You gotta handle the rock with flair and rhythm if you wanna be judged on wood brain and concrete courts in New York. This ain't no nickel and dime. It's dribbling dimes where scoring never looked this good. I guarantee it. But was your reputation built from the playground up? Or did you call next when they took that ish? Or cause you weren't as fast as police and ambulance sirens? Or as loud as Mr. Softy ice cream? No. You see, this is New York City hoops in prime time. As beautiful as the skyline, it's dribbling dimes. What's up, man? This is Emilio the Poet. What's good? This is Mini Digital. Today is a special day here on Dribble and Dimes. Um, it's, it's a Friday. I know you're not listening to this on a Friday, but it's a Friday. The sun is out here in New York. The weather's nice. Oh, yeah, and by the way, we got a really special guest. So so let me, let me break him down a little bit for you just so you get a gist. This gentleman has been coaching for over 35 years um, across high school basketball and the NCAA ranks. He spent some time as head coach at St. Rita's High School in Chicago. He did some time as an assistant coach in the D1 ranks as well. And today he is the head coach and director of college athletic recruiting at Gulliver Prep down in Miami, Florida. But respectfully to all those stops that currently are not relevant to the Dribble and Dives podcast that I just mentioned, and most importantly for us, he spent 17 years as the head coach at St. Raymond High School. I, I need y'all to let that sink in, so I'm going to say it one more time. Okay, This man spent 17 years as the head coach of St. Raymond High School. Now... That, I think that's a dead giveaway for anybody that, that knows New York area basketball. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tease you some more. Um, so not only did he coach there for 17, but he was also a student there. So he's been a part of the St. Raymond family for more years than I care to count right now, boys and girls. Um, none other than a legend joins us today. This is Mr. Gary DeCesa. Uh, for my brother and I, okay, you had something to say, Emilio? Yeah, I was going to say Coach Gary DeCesar, but, you know, he is a mister, so it is what it is. Yeah, 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 that's true, actually. So he, he already corrected us. He scolded us. He said we should call him Coach D at, at bare minimum. Forget about the <laughs> forget about the Mr. DeCesar, or I wouldn't even dare go down the Gary path because um, I'm still deathly afraid. And, and I, I want to, <laughs> I, I kind of want to share a quick story about Mr. Damn, here I go again. Coach Coach D. <laughs> so when I was frolicking through the halls of St. Raymond High School as a student, um, there, there were two menacing presence, presences, that's probably wrong to say, but I'm going to go with that, um, that you ran into often. One was Mr. Andy Sadia. The other was Mr. Gary DeCesar. And now I think Andy took the – took the the award for the tormentor of the year over there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Coach D played his role, but 
he wasn't as menacing, I'd say. So uh, kudos to you for, for being a little bit more understanding. But nevertheless, <laughs> they were both deans of discipline. And when it came time to groom yourself as a young man, they were relentless. So much so that Coach D had shaving, uh, he had big razors, he had a nice jar for you to tip him when you got caught out there and he would tell you what you got to tip right so uh when, if you if you know anything about catholic school i think most schools go down that path but but i remember fondly or not so much um not having too many occurrences where i needed to shave but there was one and i'm going to imitate you coach d so i hope you don't get offended but no problem but <laughs> we were Batman and Robin and I was Robin. Yeah, that's that's a great that's a great way to put it. So I'm walking down the hall. I don't think I have that much stubble, but apparently it was overbearing. So I get flagged. Coach D comes and is like, I need you to go to my office. You you know where to shave. And I was like, actually I don't. Like this is my first altercation. How does this work? <laughs> So he, he, he kind of looked at me like, come on, clown, go, go, you know, go shave and drop off some money while you're at it. And I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. So he kind of looked at me again and was like, you better get your ass over there. That kind of look. And, and so I had like two bucks on me or whatever. I run into the office. I find the Bic and I'm in there. I don't really know what the hell I'm doing. I'm just kind of going through the motion. And, and I think he walks in and I guess I'm taking too long or something. But he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What? <laughs> you were stopping the business. I had a line outside. <laughs> but if I, if I remember right, both you guys still owe me money for shaving. Yes. Yeah. Oh, because I, I don't have the money, I'll pay you on Monday. Thing. Yeah, yeah. The check's still in the mail, by the way. Listen, listen Mister, Mr. the season. Let me tell you something. With you, I discovered razor bumps. Before you. <laughs> I had no idea what a razor bump was. You literally showed me what a razor bump was. A big shaver wouldn't work on your brother right now. <laughs> no, we yeah. need we need a lawnmower. Yeah. <laughs> so, coach, uh, thank you. I, I I'll tell you, and we talked about this a little bit. I. But however, Mister Senior was the bad guy. I was the good guy. Yeah, that's right. And that's I'm right. sure I'm sure he would throw it on you as well. Yeah. <laughs> you. You you just exhibited the same passion you had on the sidelines for coaching. You did the same for shaving as well. Passion <laughs> is a little different than the hallways. I mean, no, I remember Mr. Savior jumping up on a cafeteria table, stamping on somebody's burger. Oh damn! <laughs> I never saw that. Oh my god! That I wouldn't do, but he so, so we, we've had a lot of uh, your alumni from St. Raymond on this show, so much so that I get we get flack every now and again that we are the uh, de facto St. Raymond podcast um, as far as basketball history goes. Well, you're graduates of it. Exactly. And, you right. know, I think people understand. They get a little annoyed, but genuinely I think uh, people appreciate the stories. But um, overwhelmingly – there's been a lot of praise and gratitude expressed uh, for you. I'm sure you get a lot of it directly uh, from these guys, and maybe some some people haven't because uh, we're human beings. We kind of act that way. But um, I, I want to understand what made you even pursue coaching. Like what was it about it that you gravitated toward and 
were able to kind of hone your skills to impact kids at the, at you know the levels you did the way you have? Well, I mean, I, I guess I got to go back to a little past what you guys were talking about when I started. Um, I was coaching St. Helena's Grammar School um, for um, many years. That's why I played grammar school. And um, when you played grammar school, because of the great Mr. Ron Patnash, you mm. know, play 100 games at St. Raymond. <laughs> right. Nurse, and, you know, we would always play against each other. So, um, you know, he'd play 100 games. I would probably play about 75, 80. I could never catch him. Wow. You, know, he was, you know, he was playing every tournament there was. But I did that at such a young age, and I got to thank, uh, you know, Monsignor Durvin, who's the pastor at St. Helena's, uh, not anymore. Um, he's on Mars Park Avenue now at another church. But he, he was, uh, I guess, one of my first mentors. You know, he hired me to coach the fifth and sixth grade team, and I did that for a year. I kind of followed Michael Thompson. Michael, I coached Michael Thompson when he was in fifth grade, sixth wow. grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. When he went to high school, I went to high school. I coached him um, on the JV one year, and then I thought I was going to coach him his uh, his second year, but they I didn't get hired right away when Coach Delabovi left. They hired a guy, Ed Zazzarino, for one year because Mr. Patnosh and Coach Delabovi and Brother Raymond did not think I was ready. I, you know, I was only 20, 20, 20 years old at the time. Wow. Hired this guy who was coaching at Spelman High School, and he lasted a year there. Huh. You know, and Mike always tells me, if I knew Zaz was going to be the coach, I would have stayed on the JV and played for you for another year. Wow. Um, but that's where it started. It started with St. Helena's, and we would go out and play 80 games. And, and what helped me, when I was coaching St. Helena's, we were playing all the grade school teams. So, you know, I would see Chucky Martin playing for his grade school, Herberto Rivera playing for his school. And, um, you know, he was at St. Luke's. And so I would see those guys and kind of recruit those guys a little bit towards St. Raymond's. So when I was going to college I decided not to play I had a couple I wasn't a great player I was a good rebounder um, I decided I wanted to coach and not 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 play so I went to Iona College and um, as I was going to college I was coaching grade school and I was coach Delabovi's assistant who was my high school coach at St. Raymond's mm. so both things at the same time so wow. I had the best of both worlds I was coaching grammar school kids I saw the best grade school kids. Then I was an assistant at the high school level, and I was Coach Delabovi's assistant for his four years as the coach. And then he left. He went to Manhattan College as head coach, and I'm sitting there like, okay, I'm just I'm going to get this job. And they blew my mind away for a year. And Zazarino didn't work out. He left, and then they hired me, and I was still 21 years old when I got the job. So you were still wow. in. You were still at Iona. Is that right? I was, no, I, I graduated Iona. Okay. Yes. Wow. I was. I, I graduated Iona. I, I started teaching at St. Raymond's. My first year, I was teaching. Well, the kids were teaching me um, <laughs> uh, history. Uh, my first year, I was a history teacher, and I was um, the JV coach. I had Chucky, Eddie, uh, Dal Reed was a senior. Michael Thompson was moved up, I believe. Um, but uh, yeah, I was a JV coach for one year. 
and then I was the head coach for 16 years. So that's the 17 years. Well, I have a question because I think even even by uh, a young man's standards, I think the idea that you were coaching grammar school and high school as an assistant, that's impressive in itself. I, I feel like it speaks to your a great work ethic because a kid that young undertaking both such big responsibilities. Talk, talk to me a little bit about that. Did you grow up with this, this idea of a great work ethic or is it just like you just love coaching so you just, you'll just you take anything you can get your hands on? Well, no, you know, I guess, you know, as you guys talk about the, the players who, you know, talk highly of me and, you know, as being considered, you know, a role model to those guys, yeah. you know, I, I think the reason I was able to do that and think about this. I was 21 years old. And I'm coaching, you know, Dow Reed, and he's, you know, he's 19, 18. You know, it's, right. You know, it's right. 18, 19. So I'm only a year or two older than those. But what I think happened to me, I, I understand and I played the role. You know, a lot of people don't know about my, you know, my growing up, but I'm, I'm from a single parent home. You know, my dad left when I was three. I never met him, don't know him. Wow. Um, my mom was a single parent. She had an injury. She she uh, hurt her back, so she couldn't work. But she was so determined to put kids in Catholic school. Um, both I and my two sisters went to St. Helena's Grade School. I went to St. Raymond's High School. They went to Scanlon High School. She put us through Catholic education. We were on food stamps. We were eating government cheese. I grew up eating ketchup sandwiches, mustard sandwiches. You know, I, you know, whatever was able to span a family of five. Wow. Span two. You know, whatever, you know, whatever, a lot of grilled cheese, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of American government cheese. So I, I kind of grew up, you know, like most of the guys we coach. You know, most of the guys we coach were single parent homes and, you know, with moms had to work a ton of hours to, you know, make ends meet. And so I kind of understood I understand what they were going through. I was able to relate to them. And I think that really had a lot to do with my uh, success with the guys. Wow. That, that, that makes so much sense that you were able to relate to young men. Um, I wonder if that led you into coaching because of what you've been through as a, as a young man, as a boy growing up, that you kind of want to impart your wisdom and kind of help guide them the way your mom or whoever impacted your life. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, and, and I knew I wanted to work with kids at what capacity. I didn't know at the time, but, you know, for years, Father Dervin, I bring him up, he used to run a camp um, up in Putnam Valley. It wasn't a basketball camp. It was an all-sports camp, you know, and it was the John V. Mara facilities, the CYO facilities that they had. And we were running a four-week sleepaway camp for underprivileged kids in the South Bronx. We never wow. paid. They never got paid. To, they, they didn't pay to go. He would go to parishes, get kids. We would have about anywhere from 80 to 120 kids. Uh, I was a counselor there. My wife was a counselor there. Um, you know, a bunch of guys that grew up at St. Helena's, we all worked there. And to this day, this camp still goes on. In fact, the grammar school coach at St. Helena's, Bobby Schaefer, he still runs that camp. He took wow. over for me as far as running it. Wow. So I wanted to get into coaching, working with kids, and it all started with that camp. You know, when, you know, back in the day when we were, you know, volunteering our month of July to work at that, you know, camp. And then 
towards the when I got into high school coaching, then we started working, you know, the summer camps and the five stars, and then I somehow got connected with ABCD and was, ended up running that, and you know, so it kind of took my whole summer away, um, you know, from from the camp. Uh, let, let's since you just brought it up, um, ABCD camp. Legend has it, and I say legend because I don't know, so I, I'd love to confirm or deny this. You have probably still to this day pretty significant relationship with Sonny Vaccaro. Correct. Is that's how you, I'm assuming, got involved with ABCD Camp? Um, a lot of people when they when they bring you up, right? It is Gary DeCesa had all the all the best gear, right? That's that's a common thing, uh, and, and and interestingly enough, a great a great tool in recruiting without having to say a word, uh, which I'm, I'm sure that wasn't um, by accident. And then the other is Sonny. That's Sonny Vaccaro's man. Like that's his guy. Well, uh, my major in uh, Iona was uh, marketing business. Uh, so um, I always believe you have, you know, if you're going to do everything that do first class. Okay. So I had the luxury of my wife worked for the NBA at the time. Oh. Every time there was an event like the All Star Game or or you know the you know all the leftovers you know like they would give goodie bags back in the day NBA to all the you know people who come to the to the to the NBA. All those things happened to end up at twenty one fifty one San Raymond's Avenue. Um, you know, and I would give those to the kids. You know, the kids would always get that stuff. I would never keep it. You know, so we used to get a lot of stuff, and I would always give it to the kids. So we had that aspect. Now, the Sonny Vaccaro story is a very interesting story. When I first met Sonny, I was in an elevator in Pittsburgh. I used to go to the Nike clinics, and um, this was when he was with Nike at the time. Yep. And um, um, I was at a clinic, and I was in the elevator. And I just happened to walk in. I was wearing a St. Raymond shirt. And he said, ah, oh, St. Raymond's, where are you guys located? And I said, Bronx, New York. He goes, oh. I said, well, you know, we're building something special. And, and I got a lot of good, great kids, a lot of kids from the Bronx. He said, the probably needy kids, right? I said, yeah, most of them are. He gave me his card. He said, you know, hey, when you get back home, just send me a note and tell me what you need. So I was like, what do I need? I didn't know, you know, really. So obviously, I, you know, through the clinic, they introduced Sonny and, um, you know, got to know him and started to watch what he was doing and stuff. So when I got back home, I said, hey, I the elevator. You know, anybody send me some shoes for my kids and bags and, you know, uh, socks and things like that. And three weeks later, there was a shipment of Nike stuff sent to, to me at St. Raymond's. And, and that was the beginning of a relationship. Just, so, just wow. off off chance, elevator encounter, two, two people just having a basic conversation. That's, That's how. how it was. Wow. Yeah. He's yeah, from he's from that area, right? He's from the Pittsburgh area. He's, he's, yeah, he's born and raised uh, in in Pittsburgh. He started the round ball game out there. That was the original All Star game. He um, um, then he left Nike at that that year, and then that was I, I worked the Nike camp in Princeton my first year, and um, you know back then it was uh, that was the only camp. It was the Nike camp and. Um, he broke away and left, and he started we, in uh, Converse, I think, in, in, and the first camp was in uh, 
Cal no, it was, uh, I I'm bad with years. The first one maybe might have been Ypsilanti, Michigan. And, uh, you know, he hired Billy Aber, who was the guy who ran Five Star. And, you know, Goff recommended Billy Aber, but, you know, uh, so we were out there. And, you know, what Billy, Billy's great at what he does because he's organized. But to work for Sonny, organization is not what's going to help you. You have to be able to change on the fly, whatever you're doing. Right. Okay. So that Sonny basically, I was at this. I was at the camp watching. I don't know who we had at the camp, and Sonny kind of took me out of the stands and said, "I need your help to help run the camp." And I did that. And then after that, for the next 15 years, I ran the camp. I was the you know the, the director, co-director of the camp. Mm. Um, you know, and, um, you know, that's when he left and went to Reebok. I don't know. We were Converse one year. Then he went to Adidas. I think we were Adidas maybe 10 years. Then we were Reebok for five years, you know, and, um, you know, it's funny how, you know, basically his Pam, his wife, me and my wife basically ran a camp when, you know, it was, it was a mom and pop operation. We're running this camp. You know, when Nike kept their camp and now, you know, they're running their camp with all these executives and all these people that they have. And, you know, we were just really a mom and pop operation at the start. <laughs> you know, wow. it's not now everybody has a marketing company running their stuff. And, you know, we, we, we were, you know, doing it. Then, you know, Arm, Sonny had his uh, army soldiers, I guess, in the cities. Yep. You know, all those different AAU coaches who... We're bringing their players, and you know, Sonny. Sonny was a deal. He cut deals and got kids and got the best players. And you know, we had to figure out how to put them on teams. And you know, we get phone calls from people all over the country asking about their kids. And you know, but the problem was it was budgeted for 120. You know, one year we got to 140. One year we got to 160. I think we might have hit 180. We might even been in 200s at one time. Wow. You know, but then we got ended up getting you know because less. You know, everybody else started running a camp, so now it was getting diluted because everybody had a camp. But, you know, it was, and you know, then we brought in some, you know, guys who, you know, Gary Charles had the Long Island Panthers, and he became part of, you know, the, the administration of the camp, and, and uh, you know, it just rolled. It just rolled. You know, it just went on and on. Gary, I... I are you sure in that marketing classes that you, the marketing classes that you took in Iota didn't come with a little manipulation class as well? Because three minutes in the elevator and you get all those Nike shoes and stuff. Come on. Well, the minor was business marketing with a minor in business. You know, and again with that, you know, to me, I, I always thought you got to look the best, play the best. You know, a lot of these schools and programs get sneakers and they give them some give them to the kids. But the kids don't wear them. They, you know, a lot of them wear their own stuff. Or, you know, there's rumors that guys sell them out to other people. You know, I don't, I don't know. That. But me, I got them. I gave them to the kids. We all wore them. We looked the same every time we stepped to court. You know, we had the same shoes. We had the same socks. We created socks. We, we traveled. We traveled first class. I didn't put four or five kids in a room. I put two kids in a room uh, most of the time. Um, you know, uh, to me, you, you got to look the part, if, and, and, and that's what kids like, and kids were attracted to that. Yeah. You know, when a kid comes and takes a, uh, uh, a visit at a school to where they're going to go to high school, and they're talking to our guys, and they say, hey, man, we're getting all this gear, we're traveling 
this, we're doing everything first class. It's a no-brainer, man. Kids want to come. Easy. I mean, Easy. One, once you got that connection and you can keep that consistent, forget it. You get, you get yeah. that pipeline going. Well, yeah. that, that's yeah. one aspect of it, right? Because you can go get them. They'll come for a little bit. The glitz and glamour wears off. And if there's no real substance there, it, it could be disastrous for those guys, right? And sure. and that's not the case with you for the most part. Now, now I'll be honest. While this is more appraising Gary D and t- talking about the legacy of, like with anything, not everybody has the best things to say. <laughs> so I, I'm curious, like, I'm sure you've had those conversations with people directly. How do you, how do you, what's your approach? Because not everybody's going to like your approach, right? How do you, no, how do you? No, I mean, yeah, you know, I've always said in this business, you know, you're not in the business to be liked. You know, you're in the business to uh, make a difference. And, uh, you know, everybody's not going to, you know, some parents are not going to like what you're doing. Some kids, you know, and, and I'm not saying I had a great relationship with every kid that played for me. Sure. But, but I'll tell you what, there's not many kids that transferred, which is, you mm. know, or did, but not many did. Um, you know, you, you know, basketball is a hard sport because you're only playing five guys. You know, right. there's maybe 15 on a team and you're only playing five guys at a time. So, you know, everybody's not going to play. You know, I always tell the kids all the time, everybody practices. You know, when I have a parent meeting now, it's one of the first things I say. Everybody practices, everybody doesn't play. Right. You know, you, you, you get better in practice. When you have a really good team and you're practicing, you know, every day, you know, when, when Emmanuel Richardson is going against um, Eddie Rivera, you know, he's going to get better. You know, right. when, when Emmanuel's going against Terrence Trench, he's going to get better. You know, so you're going to get better in practice and, um, you know, not everybody's going to play. You know, there's some guys, I, I, you know, and not everybody's going to turn out the way you think they're going to turn out either. I mean, yes. there was some kids who told me, you know, I came into St. Raymond's, I was the fifth-ranked player in the country. Well, who says you're the fifth-ranked player in the country? I mean, <laughs> ranking and you know, all of this, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, you know, I've heard, well, I came in. 15th and I left, I wasn't even ranked. Well, I, okay, what do you want me to do about it? I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not putting the ball in the basket. I'm not shooting. You know, you want, you want to come to court? Well, I'm playing. Go out and play. <laughs> you know, you know it's, 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 it's some people because they were afraid of the competition. They didn't want to bust, you know, they didn't want to go out there and bust everybody's ass. They wanted the easier way. Mm-hmm. And, and that happens. Yeah. You know, there, there's, there's guys, you know, um, you know, uh, off the top of my head, um, I could think of is, you know, I thought one of the toughest, hard-nosed kids I ever coached to this day was Carl Nickerson. Mm. I thought a tough-ass kid, you know, um, and, 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 you know, I, I just, you know, just just didn't work out for whatever reason. Yeah. You know, right. you, know I, you know, but he was, he, I tell you, he was one of the toughest guys I ever had, man. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 uh, I, so I was there. I was there during that time, and I, every time he stepped foot on the court, I was scared for the other team. I was afraid to practice. He was going to hurt somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. seriously, yeah. me. It could have been me too. Right. But, you know. Yeah. But 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 you know, Carl was a warrior, and he played hard, and you know, it's just you know, uh, you know. But there's more. You know, there's more to the story than it's just that. You know, sure. do that part. You know. Then you got to do your academics. You got to do your grades. You got to do, you know, you got, you know. There's a whole package that comes into this, right? Right. You know, and uh, 
But, you know, when I, I think about it over the 16 years there, I think there was a lot more success stories than s- stories that didn't make it. And, sure. you know, you can't make everybody happy. Yeah, right. that's, that's definitely um, what we've gotten from our sample size of conversations. Overwhelmingly, it's been positive, respectful. Actually, yeah. there hasn't been one disrespectful discussion. Right. Even okay. if even if things didn't work out, it wasn't they, there was still respect, right? Sure. Which which is I mean, if you're if you're a hundred percent on that, there's really very little about well, you know what's else. great is you know, Orlando was called me up during this pandemic and asked, you know, coach, why don't you do a Zoom with the guys? And I said, okay, let's do it. But but how do we do it? We can't say everybody because now you have five screens and it won't right. be effective. Right. So I said, why don't we do starting with guys who played for me when I recruited in some way? Mm. Okay. Well, we did the first one. <clears throat> it ended up with 25 guys. You know, we had six guys who were in college coaching. We had, I think, seven or eight guys who are high school coaches at some level. We had, I think, six or seven guys who are AAU coaches. You know, we had a junior college coach like Tyrone Mushad. Uh, and then I brought in a referee, Danny Basil, who's doing a lot of refereeing. Yeah. Now. yeah. So we could have, ref- you know, make sure we were, you know, <laughs> you know, I thought it'd be like an hour. We were on for an hour, uh, four hours. Wow. wow. Yeah. And, and you know, what we talked about basketball. We, most of those guys are families. We talked about family, you know, their dads, their, you know, they have kids. We talked about their kids. You know, we talked about um, racism. We talked about um, social injustice. We, we talked about everything. It was a great, it was a great thing. And when we hung up, it was great. I got about 15 texts back. Coach, that was great. Can we do it again? You know, so I did a second one. Now I started getting emails in between. Hey, coach, how come I wasn't in? What about me? (laughs) Sure, give me your email. You know, one of the hardest things to keep in touch with guys, and this is true, one of the hardest, they they change their cell phone numbers, they change their emails over and over. I mean, I got the same number, 917, since I started coaching. It's my first cell phone number. I've never changed it. These guys are changing phone numbers, trying to get emails on these guys. So if somebody emailed me, I said, okay, we're doing another one. So we did a second one, and we ended up having about 30, 35 guys. You know, it was great. And then I said, you know what? This was great. I'm going to do this for my San Rita guys. Mm-hmm. So I coached for 10 years. So I got started getting in touch with them, and we did one the other night, and we had about 25 guys. That's awesome. So it was great staying in touch with these guys, and they were all appreciative that we could all get together and see each other, because I think that's important, and be able to speak our mind. In, in, in whatever, you know, you know, one of the guys at St. Rita was starting, you know, uh, was going to have a protest next weekend. He wanted guys support to put the, uh, on their platforms and everything. So, you know, it was great because we were able to support each other. Yeah. Right? It was, it, you know, it was the greatest, it was the greatest thing I did. Now I'm going to do a dirt one St. Raymond's and, you know, I got guys who, you know, like Dow Reed. I spoke to Dow Reed. I spoke to Gary Massey. I spoke to Michael Thompson. They all want to get on it too. You know, and, and, and I brought in the coaches who coached with me. I got um, um, George came in, you know, because I hired George my last year. Oh, I didn't George, know that. Right. George was coaching at Actually, I did know that. Yeah, he's mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, he mentioned said that. that. He was a grammar school coach. And Pat Nash wanted to hire him for the grade school. And I beat Pat Nash to the punch. <laughs> and, 
and got George because I needed a B coach at the time. Yeah. So when yeah. I had George, he was my varsity B coach. So I had George on, I had Oliver on, I had um, um, who else? Uh, I tried to get Mr. Scott. I tried to get Mr. Sturgis. Like those those two guys are my guys, and yeah. and uh, but you know they, they didn't. I, I don't know if I I finally spoke to Mr. Sturgis the other day, and Mr. Scott responded to, to me. That hopefully, they'll be on the next. Nice, that's awesome. Uh, hey, uh, Coach, I just wanted to say, like, um, I, I I think you have to it, it just just from what you're telling me, it seems like you have to have a certain kind of moxie, a kind of mental fortitude to be a coach. A man in your position, did you always have the mindset that you know what you can't make everybody happy in life? I'm just gonna go in there, do what I do, do the best I can, or was it something you learned on the job? Uh, kind of both. I mean, you know, I, I I'm low key guy. I'm not. I'm really not cocky. I don't look for publicity. You know, I'm. You know, a lot of people don't know about my my background behind me. Um, you know, a lot of people. You know, you like you said, you see the the yelling on the sideline. You know, that's. <laughs> So, uh, you know, that's just passion. Yeah. You know, right. That's, that's coaching right. with passion. And, uh, but, you know, off the court, I'm, you know, I'm a quiet, quiet guy. And, and, um, you know, not, you know, so you learn on a job because I was young. I was 21 when I started, you know. Mm-hmm. So that, that gave me an advantage because, you know, I felt I was like one of the guys, but I couldn't be one of the guys. Yeah. Stop mm. ahead of them, you know. And I'm taking these guys on the road now. You know, I got, I'm 21, 22 in Florida and I got 15 kids. So, you know, you, you gotta be, you, you teach yourself to be responsible and now you're responsible for other people now, you know, and right. then the parents are entrusting in you. Yeah. And one of the things I always, when I talk to parents, this is what I say to this day, it's all about trust and communication. That's, that's my two words, trust, communication. Can, can, if I can't trust the parents and you parents can't trust me, it ain't gonna work. Can, can I take it? A, can I take it a step further? Because in the climate that we're in right now, with all the injustices and things that are kind of front page news now, those fundamentals you just mentioned carry over into that as well, right? Cause, sure, absolutely. And I would, everything into life. And everything. And I would add one more. I'd say understanding. So sure. when you can communicate, that should lead to understanding. And if that leads to understanding, that should earn you trust. Absolutely. And if you can do that, forget it. Like a lot of these issues that we see dissipate and then right. you, and then you have very little, you know, bullshit to contend with. And, 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 and you put everything up front. You tell the, you know, I tell the kids it's about communication. Okay. I'm going to communicate to you. you need to communicate. I, I can't stand when I send a text and they don't, nobody responds back to me. Yeah. I hate that. <laughs> I tell the kids all the time. If I send you a text, you better respond. If I was your girlfriend, you would respond. That's right. right. So respond back. Say, yeah, give me a thumb sign. You know, give me a, you know, whatever, whatever you want to do. Whatever you, you want to come up with, that's fine. But respond back to me. That's all. That's communication. Coach, you're, 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 you're an emoji guy these days? I, I, I learned it, yeah. You dabbled? <laughs> you, you know what? I got to say, I love the emojis that you make with your hands better. I think you should send people the, the emoji. Record yourself doing some hand signals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but, but that—that's—that's that's really it. Truth and communication. You know, I said that the other night to I think George asked me a question about parents today, and I said it's all about trust and communication. Mm. You know, it's not. You know, you 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 know, I I don't know if this is right or wrong, but you know, you have rules, 
but you 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 hold everybody to the rules, but not to the letter of the rule mm. because everybody has different backgrounds. If that makes any sense, absolutely. Yes, there's so, flexibility. I mean, I can go in and jump on a guy, and you know why you didn't show up for practice or whatever, you know, and then another guy. You know, I, I might sit that guy out of game, but another guy could miss it, and I might not sit out that guy because th- there might have been an extenuating circumstance. Yeah. Right. We didn't know that, you know? And that right. guy might not have known that this guy, you know, has a baby or, you know, or his mom was, you know, uh, evicted or his mom was on, you know, drugs or, you know, every, you know, everybody has their own um, situations, you know, their own scope. Right. And if you don't communicate, you're never going to know that. True. Right. You, you know, I say you treat everybody the same way, but you can't treat everybody the same way. It's impossible. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to do. You, you talked about Emmanuel Book Richardson a little while ago. Um, when he was on the program. Oh, love him, like my son. Well, he definitely said that. But I don't call him, I don't call him Book. I call him Emmanuel. I know. I noticed that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but listen, there's. To this day, I never call him. I, he, when I call him now. I say Emmanuel. <laughs> he told me. He told me that. <laughs> this, there's so many stories that he he brought to to bear. Um, but one, actually, probably two. But I'll start with this one. Um, Look at this chair. Yeah. <laughs> the light. The light. That's Emmanuel. <laughs> Emmanuel Patch Richardson. <laughs> so, so this you. Hairline right here is all manual. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there were, it sounds like there were countless encounters while he was in high school between you and he. Um, one, one that I thought was amazing, and I'd love just for your point of view and kind of what you were thinking was. I'm sure I exaggerated a little bit, but let's, ma- go, let's ma- hear it. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, you went to his neighborhood. You went to Clay Avenue in the Bronx to hunt him down, I guess to get him to go somewhere or do something. Do you remember that? Absolutely. He was standing on a corner with another guy. And I know when you're standing on a corner with another guy on Clay Avenue. Bad business. Something, not, not, something good has not happened. I drove right up on the sidewalk, right in front of him, almost ran both of them over. <laughs> so get the hell out of here. You just happened to be around there or you were like spying on him? Like what, what were you doing there? I was checking on him, make sure he's okay. Okay. Oh. Okay. And that's, I mean, so when he told me that, I was like, that's a different level of person, right? Because we, myself included, we kind of get boxed into our own silos. Like if my job is to do X, I just stick to that, whatever the dimensions of that job is, and then I disconnect from that and I move on and do whatever you know my life is. You, you're, and I, I wouldn't say this is unique to you. I, I've heard stories similar to this with other good coaches as well. But it's, it's really vivid to see to hear right when when book says that i'm like yo but like you got to care on a whole different level to do that when there's no reason for you to do that right you know again i was young so i was streetwise i knew what was going on you know i had a couple of you know male adults because i like again i didn't have a dad so i had a lot of male adults who helped me in my life and helped me go the right path. So I wanted to repay the same thing. And again, it goes back to communication. If me and Emmanuel didn't trust each other, I wouldn't know a lot of his problems. Right. But because we trusted each other, 
and he communicated and I communicated back to him when he felt comfortable, I knew a lot about that. Now, how do you deal with that? That's another situation. Now, I felt right. like I got to get this guy back on the, you know, I got to make sure he goes the right path because he has some potential here. He could use the ball to continue his education because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these guys, you know, was, you guys know you went to St. Raymond's. It was tough paying $6,000 back then, 5000 whatever it was back then. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. But now you take it to a whole other level when you go to college you know, you're talking about seventy thousand a year with room and board over four. You're talking almost a quarter million dollars. Yep. Parents in the Bronx that don't have that money to send those kids. Yep. So I knew the ball could take them to that next level. Okay. Not everybody, but there's different levels of that, and that's where the kids get confused. There's Division One. There's Division Two. You could get scholarships with the kids in the Bronx. You could get Division Three because it's based on financial need, yep. right? You could get JUCO, where some of them I put. You could get NIA, which is scholarship related. Some of them need to go to prep school. You know, Chucky Martin had to go to prep school because he was too old his senior year. You know, so mm. I put my car, I drove him to St. Thomas More Prep, and um, at Jerry uh, Quinn. I think he might even be still be the coach when I retire. And I brought Chucky to meet Jerry Coyne. And that's where Chucky had to go his senior year because he could he could have stayed at St. Ray's, but he wouldn't have been able to play because he didn't meet the New York State age requirement. Mm. So, you know, whereas, you know, Majestic Matt might be on a different level talent-wise than, I don't know, Matt Augustine maybe? You know? Sure. So Majestic, you know, again, they both went D1. Yep. But nobody thought Matt Custom was going to be a D1 player. Okay, yeah. Matt worked hard at it. So, but I'm saying there could be a guy, you know, who went D2 instead of, you know, D1. But everybody thinks they're a Division One player. Everybody thinks they're right. a player today. Everybody thinks that, you know, they're LeBron James. Yeah, you know, right. You know, <laughs> you know, it but if they come and understand that, hey, I could take this ball. Just like I say, the ball has taken me all around the world and have a lot of great relationships. You know, so the ball could take you and get your education so that you can make something out of yourself for your life and maybe be the first person in your family to get a college degree, mm. you know, or be that first generation of your family to get a college degree, you know, maybe you know, depending on the situations. I have a question regarding uh, coaching philosophy. Um, I realize that you're you're recruiting, and I'm talking right now just in the high school level, but you can, I'm sure this applies in college as well, but when you're recruiting players, how much is it, is it versus getting the, the best talent and also getting, or getting the best fit for your team? Does that, does there a clash ever in that same respect? Is there like talent over fit or fit over talent, or is it just let me get the best players and figure out how I'm going to use them all? Well, it's two different things. In college, when I'm an assistant coach, I'm finding the best fit for my head coach. Right. I'm not the coach. You know, you know, assistant coach is just the guy on the side. You know, you're not making, you know, depending on who you work for. So you got to make sure that that kid can play for your head coach's system. You know, right. I think that's really important because if you don't, the kid's going to be unhappy. He's not going to play. He's not going to play. He's going to be unhappy, and then he's going to transfer. He's going to be one of 800 kids in a, in a, in a transfer court, right? Right. So 
the, the key is trying to find the right fit. Okay. And, and I think that's my job as a, as a college, as a high school coach too, to make sure it's a good fit for those guys to go to college. So if you look at our track record of the 45 to 60 guys in that range of guys who went D1, I'm just going to use D1 as an example. We have a great track record of guys who never who haven't transferred. Some have, but most of them have not because it was a good fit. Right. Like, for instance, Terrence Renford, great example. He had four or five schools. You know, we were talking about it. It was local, like Seton Hall. You know, Terrence always wanted to go to St. John's, but let's say it was Seton Hall. I don't remember who, but you know, he, he, you could tell he wasn't happy with it. You know, I said, who do you, if you go anywhere in the country, where would you want to go? And he said to me, Texas, coach. I said, Texas? Why Texas? Well, I just watched them the other night in NCAAs, and I loved the way they play. You know, they had the three guards back then. I don't know who they were, I forget. But he said, I love the way they play. I said, well, that's easy because the coach is Pendens. And I know Tom, you know, he's a Bronx guy. So, oh, I didn't know that. Tom Pendens? I didn't know that either. Yeah, you know, he, he's a New York guy. He coached at Fordham, Tufts. Tom Pendens paid his dues. Mm. One of the best player coaches out there ever in the country. Wow. You know? Wow. Yeah. Um, um, you know, I'll tell you a quick story. I went to Texas to watch Terrence. I always tried to go to watch one of the guys play before they graduate at their school. You know, some I couldn't because of our schedule. But I went down to Texas to see Terrence play. You know, and, and, and I was I, I stayed at Coach Pendens' house. Probably a violation, but who cares about that? <laughs> um, I'm, sure, uh, I'm sure you're good. I'm sure the, <laughs> the time has passed already. Time's passed, right? But, um, you know, they, <laughs> I said to Coach Pendens, he goes, I said, don't you have shooter right now? Terrence told me you got shoot-around. He goes, yeah, I don't go to shoot-around day of the game. I said, why not? He goes, I don't want to get pissed off at a shoot-around. <laughs> would never go to the shoot-around day of the game. He let his uh, assistants do it. You know? Now you got guys in opposite extremes. Like, I went to one time when uh, UNLV was in the city, and they were having a shoot-around, shoot and I think John Jay or something. So I went down there because, you know, I, I got to know talk. And he's got a full-fledged three-hour practice going on the oh, day of the game, wow. going body on body. Like it was – like you didn't never know that they were going to play at o'clock that night. I was like, oh, my God, this, this guy's nuts. <laughs> what, what was your style? Were well, you more three ways of, um, of skinning a cat. Are you more Tom Penders <laughs> or are you more Jerry Tarkanian? I tell you, I, 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 this is what I learned over my years. You know, I worked for a great guy, Jerry Rainwright. You know, Jerry was one of the greatest guys to work for. He was a family guy. You know, he, he's one of the best, one of the most well-respected guys. But he was a high school coach. That's how he started. I was a high school coach. You know, the difference was he got his break. You know, I, I, I didn't get that break that I you know, was looking for when I left. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's another story. Um, but um, um, what I learned watching all of these guys and going to practices, going to clinics, and that's a lost art today with coaches. You know, a lot of these young guys think they know everything about basketball. You know, they think that God's gifts to coaching. You, to this day, Jakey Rodriguez, who was a coach at Miami Senior, ran a clinic last fall. I went to it because he had a great lineup. You know, he had Frank Martin, he had Bobby Huggins, he had Bob Hurley. You know, he wow. had, you know so I went to and, and I went there. I was so disappointed on how many coaches were not there. Wow. I mean, these coaches don't put in time today. 
I mean, I go to clinics these, to this day during the pandemic. I've watched clinics on, 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 on Zoom, you know, just listening to coaches. When you stop doing that, no matter what your profession is, if you know, you stop working at it, get the hell out. Okay? Because mm. never going to get good at it. You, you know, who, I learned a lot. What I learned was I learned a lot of things what to do, but I learned a lot of things not, not what to do. That's important. Mm. You know, you, you learn, you know, because I worked with a guy for seven years, Jerry Wainwright, who I love, love to this day. I'm not going to do everything he did. See, that's the problem. You know, when coaches work for me, when I leave and say they, they take over the program, you know, and I said this to Oliver and I said this to Jeff. I said, don't try to be me. Be yourself. Find your niche because mm-hmm. you're not going to be me. You know, you know, you got to you got to you got to figure out what you should do and what you should not do. Everything I did is not the right way to do it. Okay. Right. But you got to find your niche and figure out what to do and figure out not what to do. And, and today I, I live by that. And, and, and I think that goes with everything in the business, every, any kind of business you're in today. You know, when you move up the ladder, you got to learn things, what to do and how to do them. No doubt about that. But you also got to learn not what to do. Yeah. You know, and I think that's important. And that was important for me in coaching. Uh, Rich Kostick was on this show and I know, I know you guys know each other very well. Um, he said exactly what you just said. He said, it's a shame how many coaches don't show up to these clinics and call themselves coaches. Yeah, it's embarrassing. It's, it's bad. They don't work at their art. And, and I think the, the younger, you know, I've been blessed. I coached in two of the best Catholic yeah. leagues in the country. Yeah. Okay. Two of the best five. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the best is New York or was New York, uh, Chicago, I would say Philly, Baltimore, and um, Washington, D.C., I guess that, that, that area. Uh, those are the best Catholic leagues in the country. So I'm 21 years old. I'm taking over St. Raymond's Avenue, uh, St. Raymond's High School, and I'm coaching against you know Jack Curran, who's 30 years, Tom Murray, who's 25 years, John Carey, who's 20 years. I'm the young kid on the block, right? What do we do our first year? We go against Tullentine High School, for the Archdiocese Championship, they're number two in the country, and we beat them. We wow. beat them. Now everybody's, oh, well, this guy's young. He's cheating. This, <laughs> you know, you know, he's doing all these crazy things. <laughs> I'm working hard, man. I, I'm, I'm just working hard. And when you win, players come. They yep. want to be part of what you're doing. And and that night, I ain't gonna lie. That night, after that game in my locker room, knock on the door, open the door, Jeremy Lodge. He's got Terrence Frencher. Emmanuel Richardson and Jamel Thompson were. And he says, hey, man, that was a hell of a game. Now, remember, Tallentine, all those dudes are Riverside kids that we just beat. Malik Sealy, um, Adrian Orkney, Brian Reese, and, you know. So Ernie Lodge comes and says, I just want to introduce you to three guys who are going to be at Sam Raymond's next year. Wow. And Ernie Lodge paid their tuition to go to Sam Raymond's high school. Okay. Wow. That's how it started. You know, it started with me recruiting Eddie Rivera and Chucky Martin and St. Raymond's as a grammar school coach. Okay. Michael Thompson came anyway because he was uh, at St. Helena's. He was a bro- park just a guy. Park just a guy, right? And Gary Massey was a park just a guy at the time. Gary was one. I, I was the assistant coach when Gary was a senior. Mm-hmm. I didn't coach him as a head coach, but. Um, you know, so Dowry was a Kips Bay kid, and, you know, he was a neighborhood kid. He came there. But um, so I recruited Eddie and Chucky and, and Michael to St. Raymond's, and then that crew started building it up. 
know, then Terrence, um, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, and Jamel came, and um, um, Orlando came. That was an accident. Um, he was going to town time, but then um, that's another story. But uh, <laughs> um, you know, and, and it just kind of took off itself. And kids wanted to come every year. You know, it wasn't like I had to go out to their house and recruit them and do all these crazy things that everybody accused me. I really would I go see kids play? Sure, I show them interest. I'm interested in you. I want you to come to San Ramos High School. Was that allowed by the rules? Sure. As long as you didn't, you know, talk to them there and try to recruit them while you were there. I never talked to them. I just showed them my face. I make sure they showed me. I said, hi. And, and you know, I told them, hey, we got a game on Friday night. Why don't you come? And that's it. Boom. I'll go on to the next game. You know, you had to work at it. You know, and those guys who were accusing me, like the Jack Currents and Tom Murray, they weren't going to grammar school game. They didn't want to do that. So they were getting pissed at me because I was doing it. You were doing the work. But that's what I wanted to do. That and, was part of the job I done. I mean, but you also you also genuinely enjoyed the scouting and the activity because you you mentioned you were coaching elementary school kids anyway. So absolutely. So you had that interest beyond how it would benefit you from a St. Raymond perspective. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. That's dope. And so again, going back to the, the Catholic League, you know, now twenty five years later, I'm coming to Chicago in the Catholic League. Again, I'm the youngest guy in the Catholic League. I'm taking over here. You know, 10 years ago, 11, whatever it was, 15 years ago. And this coaches, Gene Pignatori, 35 years. You know, legend coach just died last year. Um, um, the uh, um, guy at Mount Carmel was there for 20 years. All these guys. So in a 10-year period, I left, I got there. And by the time I was the youngest guy or the least experienced guy in the Catholic League to when I left in 10 years ago last year, I was the oldest with the most experience. Mm. So in ten years, there was a big changeover. Wow! And I think in today's time, the younger guys who were getting these jobs, they didn't do it for the same reason I did it, and other guys are doing it. They were doing it because they saw, you know, a payday. A coach get a yeah. Did you say what? Uh, a payday. Payday, right? They're looking at kids to make money on. Yeah. Right. right. To be their mentor and mentor those kids to try to get a cash back on that. You know, that was never my goal or never my, you know, even if I wanted to think that way and, and I wanted to get a guy to help us who made it, I wouldn't ask him to help me. I, what, what, what would I do? I asked him, you know, can you build a, a, a weight room extension on the gym? You know, that's what I do. You know, not, not right. what guys, you know, everybody's looking for the next LeBron James and the next Kobe Bryant, rest in peace. And, you know, um, but, you know, they got different views, and then they, you know, sneaker companies. They think they're getting paychecks and all of that stuff. And you know, it's, it's just it's, it's just a total different uh, breed philosophy. You know, I think with the younger guys, not that they're bad coaches, right? Right. They, they the intentions, the, the intentions yeah. are different. Yeah, I have a, I have a question regarding. Uh, curious to shift over to the sidelines. What was your philosophy as far as a coach from an X's and O's standpoint? Who did you model your coaching? Um, after, was there any like names, either college ranks or people who may know that you kind of enjoyed their philosophy as a coach? I always loved the way um, I was more of a defensive minded coach growing up. You know, I, I always thought you try to press the team as soon as they get out of the vent. That makes sense because the way you were blocking <laughs> me on my shaving all the time <laughs> makes perfect yeah. sense. So, you know, I think defense creates offense and, and helps you. 
So I was always envied and studied um, Nolan Richardson. Mm. Rick Pitino. Because Rick was the first guy that kind of really started pressing. And he was doing multiple presses, you know, based on how you scored. It was very interesting. You know, if you scored a layup, it was one You did an outside jumper, it was a different press. If you made a three-pointer, it was a different press. I added a free-throw, it was a different press. So we were four different presses without calling anything out. It was automatic. Automatic press based on the team score. That's, that's awesome. That's genius. That's based on where we score. But when you get, obviously, when we score. But now when you get in a situation where you can't buy a bucket, you can't press. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we had some of those. That's why I was big on man-to-man, half-court defensive philosophy, too. Because if you couldn't score, you had to guard. If you guard, you're always in the game. Always have a chance to win if you guard. Whether it's full court, half court, or, you know. So to me, I like body on body. I like if they got a great player, we got to take that guy out. You know, I mean, the year we beat Rice four years in a row, the four times in the same season, it was because I had Matt shadow Andre Barrett. I told him, listen, boy, if he gets the ball, you're coming out. Yeah. You know. He, talk, he talked about he, it. He told and us when about he it. started, Andre get the ball. I take him out. I put somebody else on. Then Andre get the ball again. I take that person out until he got it. You know, eventually they got it. I said, listen, I don't care if you foul him, grab him, hold his shirt, headbutt him, whatever you got to do. Don't let him get the ball. <laughs> you know, we were trying to get in his head. You know, we did. You know, and and, and you know that's what I, I you know I thought I'd like to you know you try to find something for everybody on your team to do. Make sure. Yeah. Their roles. your transition been over the years because uh, you, you've coached in different you know eras right throughout your career and you see in some circles that the coach is stuck in his ways his or her ways it's the way they say regardless of who the talent is and then you've got coaches that are able to adapt to the talent that's available and you know you hear often that and I I'm, I'm guilty of this myself, although I don't necessarily believe it all the way. It's like today's youth don't understand how to play the game or all these different, you know, things. Well, how- to answer that question, it's because of trainers. Ah. You know, all these guys got trainers. You know, it's, it's amazing. Parents say they, they don't have any money to pay tuition, but they could pay, you know, a guy $100 an hour to train them. And, <laughs> and, and what makes a trainer? If you look at all these trainers, none of them coached a day in their lives. You know, so this is, I have this saying, there's tons of trainers and they all have their gimmicks, but nobody knows how to play the game. Mm. Mm. They teach them how to play the game, 
They teach them, you know, dribble two balls at a time. Like, I, I'm going to give you an example. We're playing San Rita, and the, the, the game is for the conference championship. Okay? It's coming down to the last possession. There's 30 – I don't like to call timeout, but there's 30 seconds left. I didn't, we were in trouble in a trap. I had to call timeout. So I got my team in. I got my point guard, and I said, listen, we got 20 seconds on the clock. Okay, we're up one. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna foul you. They're gonna push you. You gotta be strong. There's no cones on the floor. You're not gonna dribble through the cones behind your back. You're not gonna take a step back three. You're not gonna do anything that you've been doing with all your trainers. I'm saying this in a huddle right now. Okay. So, you know, I'm not looking for you know behind your back, step back, take a step on Curry three. That, that's not happening now. You're not. They're gonna double team you. You're not gonna dribble behind your back. You're not gonna. You know, go between your legs, try to split a double team, you know, like they're cones on the floor. These are human beings on the floor that are going to try to steal the ball. So that's what I'm talking about in the huddle. Right? Right, right. <laughs> that's what they'll do. They'll put their head down and they'll dribble through two guys, they'll steal the ball, go the other way, lay it up, and you lose the game. You know, that's what usually happens. Is that what happened in that in that scenario? No, listen, we won. They listen, we won. <laughs> oh no, not not in my life. I'm just saying in other people's lives that could happen. I mean, I've seen it happen. Sure, I've, I've seen everything. I mean, there's nothing nothing that would surprise me to that. You know, one thing that makes me very happy about this interview is that you're bringing us back to the time when we actually were in high school and we got to appreciate Matt Augustine, lockdown, Andre Barrett. I was there for that for the Rice games. And for me. There was no greater memory than those games, Rice and St. Raymond. And I, I just got to say, like, it was pretty genius, in my opinion, to see a person that already knew to identify roles. I want to know where that came from as far as you knowing, okay, everyone's got this particular role. And how hard or easy was it for people to buy in or you make the, your players to buy into those roles? Because, like you said, everybody thinks they're D1 or NBA players. How was it for you to sell well, them? I'll tell you one thing. I'm not too smart. I'm not really that smart because the <laughs> worst thing I ever did, you know, I don't know if you had Felipe on or Felipe Lopez, but yeah. Yeah. You know, the true story of Felipe Lopez was when he first came, him and his brother brought him to me, my office. Okay? Wow. No way. He, he, they wanted to put him at St. Raymond's High School. Okay? No. The was the coach at Rice, and he was a friend of mine. We were friends. He just took over Rice. And Rice was, you know, not good at the time, right? But Felipe's brother, Anthony, I remember it to this day, he said, my brother needs to start as a freshman. Ah. And I said, I'm sorry, I, I can't commit to that. You know, I said, I can't do that because I can't do it to the players that we had in the program already. Right, you know, right. Not, Terrence is a senior or whatever it was, and uh, he's, you know, they're going to tell me that um, Felipe's going to come in and start. Well, it was probably the worst decision obviously ever made in my life. I told him no. And I said, you should probably go to Rice because the new coach there, Coach DeMello, you know, he has nobody. Your son will be the, the starter, the best player will be the one, the two, the three, the four, and the five. <laughs> and that's, that, that's really what happened. That's the true story. Yeah. Wow. If I you had no idea. If you think back, though, um, it, let's say. Yeah, we lost guys because, you know, uh, Andre Barry didn't come to. Thing, Raymond, because we had, you know, we had, we had a lot of guys. So those kids were smart. They made good decisions. You know, Kenny, I mean, Satterfield wanted to do his own. You know, he's a, he's a Castle Hill kid. So was Andre Barrett. Yep. They were all Kips Bay guys. And, um, you know, we were loaded at the time. So Rice was the best choice for those guys. You know, they did a great job at Rice. If you think back to Felipe, like if you would have done it again, right, and 
Felipe, knowing what you know about Felipe now, would you have made that exception? No, I wouldn't do that to my guys. Okay. I, I, I wouldn't. I'm loyal. It, it goes back to trust. How could you say you trust a guy if you, you know, you're trying to sell him out while they're playing for you? You know? Fair enough. You know, those guys, I already told those guys, you know, what, what you got to do, you know, and, and what I need you to do. You know, it's like Peter Mulligan and Matt Augusta and Don Mel Miller. I told them guys to transfer when they were juniors. I said, you're not going to play. You know, you're not going to play. And um, <laughs> you know, they, they didn't listen to me, and they worked their asses off. And it was probably one of the best teams, one of the best teams, because I always get this question, who was your best team, who was your best player, who were your best five? I can't answer any of those questions. Yeah, I'm not asking those questions. That's but, but we had a great year, that, I mean, that year with Peter Mulligan. We won the city. We won the state. Peter was player of the year. He was Mr. Basketball. And he came out of nowhere. You know, he, you know, he was a, a two-year player. He wasn't a three-year player. Wasn't a four-year player, you know. He, he just worked his ass off, you know. They, I think they knew when I was coming to school, because I would come down and park on Purdy. They see my car. Every time I got there, they were in the park across the street, on the, doing pull-ups on the monkey bars and you know jumping rope. You know, they wanted to see me, see them work out, and you know it, it turned out to be great. You know, the biggest key I did in that year was I made Darnell Miller a point guard. You know, he was really never a point guard because he was six five. You know, oh. by making him the point guard of the team, nobody could guard him because he was 6'5". You know, it was hard to guard a 6'5 when you got 5'10", 5'11 guys. And that, that was the key to that whole season besides Matt and, 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 and obviously Julius Hodge was on the right way up. Chris McCray, you know, those guys were young bloods. Alan Ray and, you know, it was just, mm. you know. You were loaded. You were loaded. What a team. Let me, so, okay, let back to, to Miller. Um. I had no idea that he wasn't a point guard. I had the the luxury of getting my ass handed to me by him in eighth grade at St. Raymond. I played in St. Dominic's. And Andre Miller, coached by uh, uh, Mr. Patnosh, he literally scored 2,000 points that year. And that game, I was there, part of it, getting the, 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 end, the tail end of my ass handed to me in that particular game. It was, it was double insulting, the fact that I was... Embarrassed that we lost, embarrassed that he scored that many points, and we just happened to show face. My question to you is, as far as the Miller uh, situation, what position was he before that, and what was it a thing of, like, you seeing his potential at 6'5", or was it that you guys lacked for a point guard at the time? No, I, think, just I think he played point guard in grammar school for Ms. Patnash a little bit. Right, right. But when he went to high school, you know, unfortunately, you know, the way this thing goes, you know, he's 6'4", 6'5". He's all kid. Right. right, that's true. Peter ends up being, you know, your forward, your center. And that's true. He was used on the freshman team and the sophomore team. But, you know, I remember watching him play a little bit of point guard, and I said, and he always says I'm a point guard. And I said, you haven't been a point guard in high school. It's hard to just think you're a point guard. But <laughs> right. I believed in him. I trusted him. And it was just a gut. And we did it. And it worked. worked out. I love to this day, the gym at St. Raymond is the envy of many players, schools, the city at large. Tell us the story of how, and I believe this is true, how you, I mean, you were the person who kicked that off and got that going. Tell, tell us how that happened. It was Monsignor Cavanaugh. Okay. And I kind of, you know, as the assistant principal became kind of the, the director of facilities or 
you know, the direct uh, managing the, the building of that. Okay. Um, but I'll tell you what, man, I miss the old gym, man. Because like I told you, we pressed like hell. And, and, and the ceiling was six men. It was hard to throw over. That's us. true. That's <laughs> true. We was we were a great pressing team, but having that low ceiling made us even better pressing team. Because you can take the ball, and one of the best ways to be a press, you know, as Calipari always did against Patino, is take the ball and throw it long. You couldn't throw a long pass at same race in the old gym. Right. I mean, that, that ceiling was huge. But no, uh, you know, my senior came with the vision of you know we need to build a new gym. And, and improve the facilities at the school. And, you know, we sat down with an architect and came up with the kind of design. And, uh, you know, Father Kavanaugh raised all the money. And, wow. and uh, you know, he kind of let me, you know, do the design, pick out the, the colors, the lockers, the, you know, everything that we needed to do to, to build. Now, obviously, you know, you're a basketball coach, so you know what, you know, what you need. But not just for the basketball team, what you need for the school. You know, we had to have locker room, P locker rooms, you know, we had things to manage. You know, I thought that little thing in the back, we kind of created like a senior lounge. I don't know what it is today, but yes, back then, right. senior lounge, we made it kind of like an important place for the seniors. You know, the connection between the two. You know, we didn't know what kind of table, so we bought round tables. I think it was picnic tables at the time. We right. in there, and, you know, so that the seniors could. You know, because the seniors at St. Ray's, that was one of the best things about being a senior at St. Ray's, was you had the freedom. I don't know if you guys had it, but you were allowed to leave. You know, when I went there, you could leave, come home. I would go home for lunch. You know, you were allowed to leave the building. I'm not sure if that's still there. It's still the same way to do it. Yeah, yeah I think I think our my year in particular, they disallowed that. We we Sadia cracked down on everything. I couldn't go to the bathroom, but I'll save a good for my ass. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, the neighborhood changed a little bit. Right. So, no, no, but no, we were just bad. We were very bad. Like we we we're, we're headaches. So I don't blame them. I don't blame them at all, to be honest. Yeah, so it took your senior privileges away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, He's yeah, throwing the garbage. That, that's happened plenty of plenty of years over there to many people. But Manny, to get back to your question that I kind of really never answered was, you know, when when you know leaving from high school to, to transition, and um, I, I never had any. My intentions would be was to be the next Pat Nosh. You know, I would have been going in my thirty sixth year at San Ramos. You know, they didn't get rid of me or whatever. But you know, Miss Carew, you know, we we kind of started almost at the same time, so we knew each other very well. So, um, you know, who knows? I might have been a, I might have been a principal if I stayed there that long. Who knows? But I, you know, because I do have a master's in administration. Um, so, um, um, you know, being a high school coach and a high school teacher back in you know those times, you don't make a lot of money. Yeah. So I was doing a hundred things, you know, hustling, running camps have an AU team, you know, to, to, to speaking and things and, you know, to make ends meet, you know, I just got married. I was, you know, my wife was pregnant with my twins and, you know, I just stopped, you know, running ABCD camp. And, you know, there was an August where I, I just, I passed out almost, you know, at, at, at uh, we were running a tournament. Uh, I was running a Adidas tree stripes tournament in Hofstra university. I just, I just passed out. I mean, I was just doing too many things. So I was burning the candle at both ends to make ends meet and to provide for my, you know, my family. So you do all that and you make X amount of dollars. Then you find out you could do one thing and make more money than you're doing. I said, well, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta look into that. Yeah. So 
you know, Jerry Wainwright, who's a five-star coach, who's a friend of mine, he just got the job at Richmond University. Richmond just moved from the uh, whatever conference they were in to the Atlantic 10. Atlantic 10 was East Coast Conference. He needed a point guard. So I had Dayon Merritt at the time, okay, another tough-nosed point guard. So I thought that could be a good fit because it's a new coach. I always thought the best thing for a kid is to go to a program where a coach takes over because you know you're playing for that guy for four years. Yep. He ain't getting fired. Unlikely he's not moving, you know. Um, you know, so at least you have a, a bond there and you, the coach ain't getting fired. So Jerry was just getting a job. Dayon needed a place to go. It was a great academic school. Uh, Dayon was a great student, but he was a hard worker. So, you know, a lot of those schools, they have great support systems to get you by. I drove Dayon down there to Richmond to see the place. He liked it. I liked it more than he liked it. I think. <laughs> their facilities were nice. They had their own building. Yeah, you know, they had a lot of money down there, man. You know, the, the, the alumni guys were, you know, powerful pharmaceutical guys that had their own planes and stuff. Wow. You know, so it was, um, we were the first, I think one of the first teams flying charter in Richmond, you know, because we just used the, the alumni planes. Damn. You know, they, they had a couple of planes. So, um, you know, um, Dayon liked it, wasn't sold on it. So now school starting, I had no intentions of leaving. You know, we just finished up camp, wrapping up everything. Um, it was it was late August, uh, just ended uh, camp. Jerry calls me and says, "Hey, the guy I was bringing with me from Wilmington, I can't bring with him to Richmond. Something happened. I don't know what it was. It was like a resume issue or something. So he had an opening at a full time spot, and he told me the salary. And I said, "Well, I can make that. What else do I have to do?" It's just coach basketball, you know. So yeah, because you like, used to you used to hold in many hats. You're like, I need to be right. in the school as a teacher or whatever, and then a bunch of stuff outside of school. Absolutely. So now I'm gonna make more money doing one thing and moving to Richmond. And I'm like, well, man, I got this thing going here at St. Ray's. We were top ten in the country for ten straight years. You know, we're, we're, we're traveling. We're you know, I kind of own a little section of the Bronx here. You know, um, you know, got it, got it rolling. I know all the people in the neighborhood. I got neighborhood backing. You know, I knew all the drug dealers and everybody, and you know, they were protecting the kids and all that stuff and keeping them out of trouble. You know, so now my wife is pregnant with twins, and I'm like, well, yeah, I got to do this for my, you know, my family. Yeah. You know, my intentions were moving to college was for my family. And one other thing, I wanted to get to be a Division One head coach, not for me. I wanted to be a Division One head coach so I could hire all my former players. All of my assistants would have been former players from San Diego. I'm sorry. Um... That's the, probably the most applause I ever got. You know, the, the, crew, the crew that we specially hired for this episode to clap – they just couldn't resist, so they had to. They had to let that loose. About it, that ninety-one class or that that team. A lot of those guys. I told you we did the Zoom with you know guys in coaching. You got in your tree, family tree, like twenty guys coaching, 
that makes you feel good because you think you did something right. Yeah. So, like, book getting into coach, uh, sorry, Emmanuel getting into coaching. <laughs> I'm going to let him hear that. <laughs> Terrence getting into coaching. Orlando got into coaching. Tyrone Mushad got into coaching. And all four of those guys were on the same team. That's crazy. Team. That's crazy. You know? So, um, you know, Dana Dingle got into coaching. Uh, Charlton Clark got into coaching. Majestic Matt got into coaching. So you think you touched a lot of these guys' lives on what you were doing. I hope I did. Yeah. You know, I hope I influenced them. And, then, and that's what they, some of them talked about that in the Zoom, you know. So I had two reasons. My wife was pregnant with twins. You know, I, I know I'm going to have to need to be home more. I know I'm going to have to make more money. How do I make more money? I got no more time, you know. So it was doing one thing, making more money, plus you have the opportunity to move on, right? And I wanted to hire all my full-time assistants, my dobo, everybody would have been a same St. Raymond's guy, you know, because that's what I wanted. I wanted to take care of those guys. That was my goal. Mm. And, you know, I didn't, you know, like Frank Martin said in the, in the, in the clinic he did out here, he goes, you know, I was sitting there watching, listening to him, right? He goes, you know, Gary DeCease is sitting over there. You know, he's no different than I am. You know, I was a high school coach sitting where he was. You know, the only difference between me and him was I got a chance. Huggins gave me the chance. You know? That's it. And, and that's, you know, that, that's, that's what happened. You know, you got to work for guys, you know, who are, you know, Jerry was a great guy, but Jerry wasn't, doesn't have the, the prodigy of, um, of, you know, uh, John Calipari, you know, sure. you know, Orlando worked for John and, um, you know, Chucky worked for Cal, you know, so Cal gets those guys jobs, Yeah. you know, um, you know, I was a finalist for the Manhattan college job between me and Slice. I don't know if you have Slice, no Slice, Barry Rawson, you know, but Barry, Barry was coming from Pitt, one game away from the Final Four, and I was coming from Richmond. You know, so you know a lot of these ads when they hire, they want to hire to win the press conference. Sure, right? <laughs> to win the press conference. Want to hire the guy who's the hottest? Right. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the best. It's the hottest. Hmm. So right. I a few jobs, didn't get them. You know, for Quinnipiac, it was down the final two. Me and Tommy Moore, right? Tommy Moore is coming off. National championships with UConn. I'm coming off the pole with a you know losing record. Right. You know, so, you know, you know, right. you know get jobs, man. So it didn't work out for me, but hopefully, you know, it worked out for a few of my guys, which were good, which was good. You, but that, that, I hope that answers your question on how yeah. you know why left and In how I, and, and I don't look back. You know, I don't look back at all. You know, I think everything I did, you know, you do it for a reason, and you know, it's worked out great. Great. I got a great family. You know, my two boys are. Seniors at University of Illinois, you know, managers for Orlando. Ah, nice. And my daughter is just um, graduated high school, and she's going selected St. Louis University to be a nurse. She wants to be a nurse. That's awesome. That's congratulations, man. That's a a dream come true. You um, so I I got got a couple more questions for you, and then I'll let you enjoy the rest of your your evening here. Um, you, you I saw. I want to say it was you were coaching the McDonald's All-American game a few years ago, maybe 2017. Yes. You had, I just saw a glimpse. I'm sure there was many more, but you had Mo Bamba. You had uh, Mitchell Robinson of the Knicks. You had Michael Porter on there and several. Trey, um, Trey um, the shooter. Yes. Yes. He, or, or does he play Trey, for Washington? 
Was Trey Young there? No, Trey Young. Trey Young. Trey Young was there. Atlanta Hawks, yeah. Wow. So you had all these guys, but but that's not really where I was going. I just wanted to mention that a little a little stunt for you for you listeners out there, so you could see the the stock caliber that this man is in, in, around. But you you had said something, and I, I it caught my attention pretty pretty deeply. You said the best, like the best job, I suppose it was in the context for in basketball is to be a high school basketball coach, something to that degree. Do you remember saying that? Well, I think I, I, I use I I think I might have said the purest form of coaching. There you go. High school that, coach. That was it. Totally misquoted you. Yes. When you're, exactly. a, when you're a high school, when you're a college coach, man, you you got so many. You, you, you number one job, you become a fundraiser. You know, you're, you're fundraising money for the university. And, you know, Jerry was a phenomenal public speaker, man. I told him he missed his gig, man. He should have been a stand-up comic. I mean, he's <laughs> the funniest dude I ever been around, man. He, he is classic, classic, <laughs> funny dude. But, you know, so he was in big demand of speaking. You know, so the AD's dragging him to this party, this party, this function, this function, you know. And, um, you know, it's the, the purest form of high school. is coaching is high school. Because you, know, you, you don't have to do all that. You, you know, you're with the guys. You're not bound by all these restrictions, you know, 10 hours a day. I mean, who the hell cares how many times, how long you practice, man? Yeah. As long as you keep passing and doing that work. You know, how many hours? I mean, his coaches got fired because they practiced too many hours. Because, you know, players get pissed off and turn the coaches in. I mean, it's crazy. Wow. Um, you know, so the, the NCAA makes rules so everybody can break rules. Yeah. <laughs> no, they make no sense. You know, like what you could have on a training table. Like you could have bagel, but you can't have freaking cream cheese or something like that. Wow. I've ever seen how, how anybody could even sit down and come up with new rules. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but now it's been exposed and a lot of that stuff has been, you know, taken away, which is a good thing for the kids. You know, here, here's the bottom line. What, what, you know, everybody talks about should players get paid and not, you know, why shouldn't they get paid? You know, they're making millions and millions and millions of dollars for these universities. You know, and you tell them you can't work, you can't do, you do this. Well, why not? They should make money. They should be paid. And you know what? If you set an amount of how much you could pay them, a lot of them would be getting pay cuts because they're getting more money now anyway that people don't know about. So what's the difference? Right. <laughs> That's true. I, I think I think that there should be an applause for that one too. Yeah. I, mean, I got to pay these guys overtime this week. You're on fire, Gary. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just the truth. I'm, one thing you're always going to get out of me is I'm going to be straight up. I'm not going to. There's no, 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 I'm not going to BS and bullshit. I'm sorry. You're fine. Um, I'm not, not going to, um, you know, sugarcoat it. You know, it's, the I'm just gonna tell it's the Park Chester way. We love that. That's right. The Bronx way. The Bronx the way. The Bronx way. That's right. That's I was right. just going to say that, too. That's right. You know, Gary, I, I, I was going to ask a similar question in terms of um, from a sidelines perspective, right? Just strictly sidelines. Sure. What, what would be the distinction between high school coaching and, and college coaching? You know, here, here, here's the bottom line of all coaching. There's only a certain amount of X's. There's only a certain amount of O's. Okay. So if you communicate, go back to communication with the players, and they trust you, they're going to go out and bust their ass for you. Okay? Right. Um, like the, 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 a perfect example was down here in Gullivar when I took over. Okay? 
the previous coach had the same, pretty much the same team I had this year. He was 12 and 16. But the kids didn't trust him. They, the kids didn't play hard for him. I took the same team, probably with a little tougher schedule. And we went 24 and 6, one game short of state championship. Wow. It's the guys played for you. You know, so there's, it's, it's, the X's and O's is so overrated. You got to have the players, and you got to have the players that want to play for you, that, that enjoy playing for you, that want to play for you. Because um, there's, you know, how many ball screens can you set? How many angles of ball screens, top ball screens, wing ball screens, side ball, you know, back screens? We're all doing the same thing. I mean, I'm doing the same things that, you know, coaches are doing at a high level. I mean, you know, it's the same same thing. We're on a set, same set. We all steal from each other. I mean, if anybody says they don't or they created it, they're lying to you. We all, you know, you watch NBA, oh, man, I really like that. I write it down. Uh, I might put it in the next day. You know, let's, you know I think I'll help my kid. I think I can help him get a shot. You know, so we'll put it in and run it. What's picked up? You know, as long, right. as, as, long as they, you can teach them and they listen and they learn and they want to execute and they trust you, it all works. It all works. You're down at Gulliver. Let's talk a little bit about present day. So, so you you left Chicago. Um, you're now this is you wrapped up your first year recently at Gulliver Prep. Yeah, going into year two. Going into year two, you've got former St. Ray's guys Omar Antigua and Eric Harris as your assistants, among others. I'm sure. Um, how how does it feel to be able to provide these opportunities? Um, Two guys that, you know, you've you've been a part of their lives for so long. Remember what I said. If I got a college job, all my coaches would have been my former players. Yep. If I was at St. Ray's and never left, I guarantee you, my freshman coach, my freshman assistant, my JV coach, my JV assistant, all my varsity assistants would all have been former players. No doubt about it. Mm. Um, you know, so I've been on Eric Harris for years to finish his degree at Minnesota. Okay. Finally went back and got his degree. He just got it last year. Yep. I said, now what are you going to do? You know, he was working in Minnesota at a, at a, a shelter. I, said, I get the job. I said, why don't you come down here, man? I'll help you as much as I can. Come be my assistant. You know, and he did. And, you know, we worked out a few things. And, you know, and he's great. I mean, it's the best thing that ever happened. Having, you know, a guy, you, you know, I got a guy that I know is going to take a bullet. Mm. Okay. Omar lives down here. He's been down here. Omar was smarter than all of us. I mean, Omar you know, graduated from Carnegie Mellon. Um, you know, he, he's been down here. He's been working in the pharmaceutical business. He sells some kind of implants for brains where he's in operating rooms. Wow. You know, he gets a commission off that. So he's doing very, very well for himself. In fact, the other night, we, you know, he ran a poker game in his condo. And he's got a beautiful balcony that overlooks Miami Port where the cruise ships take off. You know, you come out of the elevator. There ain't no doors. You're in your apartment. You know, he's doing great for himself. Damn. I said, Oliver, I mean, Omar, why don't you come and be my assistant? I got no money. You know, and, and he goes, I'll volunteer. So, and he comes to everything, man. He volunteers. He takes money in his own pocket. He buys stuff for a kid. He's, he's the greatest, man. He, he's awesome. I mean, the Antigua family, from top to bottom, just, you know, what, what, what a great great uh, family and where they came from and the struggles that they went through and where they are today. So it's great. Great. I mean, 
Oliver's doing great in, in, in the sports world business, selling for BSN. Oliver's doing great. Orlando's one of the top assistant coaches in the country. Was a head coach again. Was a head coach. Didn't work out. He'll be a head coach again. Um, so. Well, I just wanted to say I wanted to make a comment about that to me shows me that it's a testament to the kind of relationship that you've built with these guys. The fact that they were willing to take a bullet for you or work for free or whatever. I think it's just a testament of the kind of person you are as far as building that kind of rapport and building the trust of your players. And I think that's applied to your life. Yeah, Omar said, you know, he said, Coach, man, you know, everybody's always done a lot for me and my family. I want to give back. You know, and, and he's been great. You know, he's been great. That's, that's beautiful. He, he's, he's coming from, you know, out of the operating room with his gobs on into the gym. You know? <laughs> that's and, awesome. And it's just great to see. I mean, great. My final question, Coach, if there's anything in that journey thus far, if you could pick one thing, what would it be to change or do differently? I wouldn't change anything. I figured you would say that. I was trying to find a better way to phrase it to pigeonhole you, but I knew it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> There's nothing for me to change. That's I got a great family and an extended family. That's, that's for sure. I, I have a comment to end my not necessarily question. So my comment, and you can... If I get again, dollars that's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. We're going to give you your $3 when we do part two live and in person. You got right, it. That's a good idea. I have, a com- I have a comment to share. You spoke about earlier your coaching philosophy and how much you pressed. I just want to say that the legend of Gary DeCesar still lives on because Coach Lopez continuously presses every game that I've won. I, came, I went to like 75% of the games this past year, and he presses every game. So you haven't left. That statue needs to be up there sooner than later at St. Raymond with Gary DeCesar. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, it's it's... The kids love playing it. The fans love watching it. It's exciting. You know, I, I mean, I, I can't stand when I get out of the gym and you see a team just standing in a 2-3 zone. <laughs> yeah. Or the shot clock. We need – New York got it because of me. I was one of the ones pushing it. Oh, okay. We need it across the board in every state. Yeah, I don't understand that. They have a team that holds the ball. You know, I'm playing in a tournament. And we're traveling. We pay money. And I'm watching this team hold the ball. I said, I didn't pay to come here and hold the ball. You hold the ball. You know, let's play basketball. We need the shot clock. The rules should be the same through high school, college, NBA. Move the three-point line back. Make it NBA. Widen up the lane. Let the guys take the ball off the rim. Let's get a shot clock. The game should be the same at all levels. You're playing high school basketball to what? To go to college. Okay, so why not play those rules? You're playing college, you know, to play professional or somewhere for money. So those rules, it's going to change again. Make them all the same. Why is this difficult? Why is this so difficult? You hear that? When I brought up the shot clock, you had all the guys complaining, you know, the the older guys, the Murray's in the carry. Well, you know, who's going to get to do it? You train somebody to do it. It's going to be an expense. So what? The girls have it. The girls have it. Come on. Had it before the boys had it. That's crazy. But the girls could do it. Half of your gyms already have it. If you notice, when we built the gym, I built the gym with the shot clock. I had it up. 
I was never able to use it. That's true. But they use it now. That's true. Damn. So why not have the rules all the way the same to all three levels? Flo- Florida doesn't have it, right? No. Ugh. That's crazy. Oh, that's ridiculous. Terrible. I think. We probably need you to advocate for the shot clock in Florida. Florida got big, bigger I, problems I, I, right now. The problem is all these state associations are controlled by, you know, guys who've been there 100 years. Yeah. And they still think we're playing, you know, short shorts with no three-point line. And peach baskets. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, man, it was it was a pleasure, as always, uh, to see you. I, I look forward to making it down to Miami at some point and catching you live, watching you on the sidelines going nuts. That is a dream of mine to see once again. So please, please come on down, man. You guys are doing some good things. Appreciate and, it. Uh, keep it going, man. Anything I can do to help, let me know. Trust me, we'll take Thank you, you up. Thank you, Gary. We'll, we'll take you up on that. Pleasure. It was a great pleasure. We're definitely going to go watch you. And if you don't show passion on the sidelines, I'm taking my ass out of there. That's not happening. And then when I see you, just make sure you have those $3. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Coach. <laughs> have a good Take night. Take care, Gary. All right, man. Peace to everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dribble and Dimes. If you like what you heard, please leave a review or comment wherever you're listening to us now. Check us out on social media as well. We're live on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. On all platforms, you can find us at D R I B B L E. N-D-I-M-E-S.